I think, Johnny, if I had to sum up this show, I would say it's a show about love. Do you agree? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Love is what it's all about. Hello, and welcome to Johnny and Tiggy Walker Consciously Coupling. Now, in this podcast, we're going to be chatting to other couples and finding out how they met. Who did the wooing, or who wooed who. Whether they faced any struggles together. And the triumphs and the joys that they've had. We'll hear about the songs that they love, that they share, and maybe some that they don't. And it's all with thanks to our partner, the Velvetizer, from Hotel Chocolat. Barista-grade drinking chocolate at home. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram and subscribe to get a new episode every Wednesday. Right, let's get started. Let's. Well, welcome to this edition of Johnny and Tiggy Walker Consciously Coupling, brought to you in association with Velvetizer by Hotel Chocolat. Now, Keris Matthews and Steve Abbott are our guests on this episode. Um, when did you become aware of Keris Matthews, Tiggs? Well, Johnny, I guess in the days of Catatonia. But I think more recently, since I've known you, I've been much more aware of Keris because I've always known that you two have got on. She was a guest on your show early on into me meeting you. And while I've never met Keris, or indeed Steve, I feel her love, as it were. You know, she's very sweet. She follows me on Twitter and will do nice things. And I know she adores you. So I sort of feel a love from Keris. Pre-lockdown, I used to see Keris every week because my rock show followed her blues show on Radio 2. So we'd chat through the glass using the intercom. Uh, she's a very gifted broadcaster. She's on Radio 2. She's on Six Music. She has a show on the World Service. She often crops up on Radio 4. Uh, she's uh, one of the um, people who contribute to The One Show. Uh, and she's got this festival she does every September. Uh, Johnny, she's amazing because she's also a musician. She's written a cookery book. Uh, she is just an amazing woman who just seems to turn her hand to so many creative things. Uh, she's a poet. Yes, she is. And cooking is a big love of hers. She made a lovely cookbook, very different to all other cookbooks. Keris Matthews, Where the Wild Cooks Go. Recipes, music, poems and cocktails. Delightful. <laughs> Fantastic idea. But Johnny, let me ask you about Steve. Do you know Steve Abbott? Have you come across him in your musical career? Well, there's a lot of people, the backroom people, shall we say, because Steve's been everything. He's been a, uh, a manager, an A&R man. He, he uh, headed up um, Richard Branson's V2 record label when it launched. He went over to live in New York for a while and ran that record label. He had a punk band, for heaven's sakes. Yes, he did. <laughs> I mean... He's done just about everything. He's had a band, he's a musician, and then he went into the sort of business side of music and um, launched very successful record labels himself including a, a, a classical label. That's the amazing thing. I don't think I know of anyone who's gone from punk to classical. He's obviously... I mean, what a couple. I can't wait to meet them. Yeah, it's slightly, all... Slightly in awe, actually, before we've even started. <laughs> uh, so are they in the waiting room, I wonder? Shall we find out? <laughs> well, a warm welcome to our podcast guests this week, who are Keris Matthews and Steve Abbott. Although I have heard Keris refer to Steve as Stephen. Which would you prefer, Steve? I'm usually known as, my nickname was Abbo um, for 100 years. And now I've got to respectable age. I am called Steve. OK. And our first question is very predictable, but we always start with it. Is When did you first meet? 
That goes right back to 1999 when I was making a video um, for Baby It's Cold Outside with Tom Jones. And Steve was on that video shoot. Um, but he spent most of his time on his Blackberry doing business. Yeah, I was based in New York and we'd signed Tom Jones at V2 Records. I was head of A&R in America. And I, I came back for the video because we felt we needed someone over here to make sure I had American sensibilities. Um, and as I was flying out, Verizon delivered a box with a Blackberry. And I'd never seen a Blackberry before. So I, was, I sorted it all out on the aeroplane. And of course, I got to the shoot and there's a pub across the road. So I nipped in the pub for a Swifty, as you do if you live. I'm sure, Johnny, you remember this living in America. It's um, a pub is, is a, a very distant memory. And all the email came through. So I couldn't believe it. I realised you could be anywhere in the world and working. You didn't have to sit at the desk anymore. And of course, we think of this as normal now with the iPhone and, and all these different ways of contacting people. But I actually missed the video. <laughs> and oh, when yeah. I saw Tom and Mark, um, they did say to me, uh, and I won't do the Welsh accent, uh, oh, boy, oh, you've just missed a hell of a girl there. And that was Keris. So I actually missed her. He hasn't changed mine. He's still on any machine doing work. You know what I mean? But no, no, I, I'm not. I, I get used to it. <laughs> yeah, and then wind forward a few years. and Another duet. Another duet. Um, I'm friends with Alid Jones, drinking friend with Alid. And, um, Another Welshman. Uh, so, yeah, so he was doing a record with Decca, and Alid was always firing managers and getting rid of them. So he would always say, look, can you take over for a while till I get the next manager? It just so happened that I took over for a minute while he was doing a, a record and he was doing a duet with Keris. So they did the duet. She recorded her stuff in America. He recorded his here. She came back to the UK and we were waiting for her at the Jonathan Ross show. And um, she walked in and it was a bit of a like, oh, my God, because I didn't know Catatonia. I've been living in America, in, in New York. So I didn't they didn't really cross my radar. Um, so I didn't really know much about her. I then sort of remembered back to the Mark and Tom telling me what a lash she was. And, and it a, sort of, a lash or a, a lass? A lass. Okay. And it sort of grew from there. You know, as they say, I would never imagine dating a musician. That's the worst advice in, in the world to, if, to, to even marry a musician. So it's not something I ever thought of. But as I started to work with her, we realised we had so many things in common. I became a manager about six weeks later. And then... It was more the things that we didn't like as much as the things that we liked. We had a phrase, the wrong side of rock and roll. <laughs> so certain things like baby on board signs. Nah, I don't like baby on board signs. Ratatouille. Ratatouille. Croutons. Croutons. Um, so, so, yeah, that was it, really. Sort of our eyes met, but our ears met at the same time. And we had the same sensibilities. And then she saw my record collection. And I was, you know, I wasn't, I was rich or anything. or I had a, a sports car. But she saw the blues, jazz and soul and reggae and that. And suddenly she was on board. <laughs> there was a particular yes. song, wasn't there? A Dubliner song, Peggy. Peggy oh Gordon. well, that's what got Steve yeah. really. I, he didn't realise that. Well, you you take some minute to get to know somebody, doesn't it? Um, you, you can think you know them, you can assume certain things from friends or from what you've seen them do in the past, but you never know someone until you spend one on one time with them. And then one evening, I got out my guitar and started singing Peggy Gordon. Mm. You are my darling. Do it better. Oh, Peggy Gordon, yeah, you, you are my darling. Come sit you down upon my knee. Yeah. 
and that was it then he's like how come you know this song i'm like well i know all the irish songs i've been learning them since i was like nine and then we spent all night long and through the night singing all these old songs I'm like, have you, do you know this one do you know this one do you know this? and that was it wasn't it yeah i mean i've been working in the music business for uh, 43 years odd and it always gets me that when you're a musician, you're always defined by the music you make. You know, it's not mm. always what you necessarily like or the limits to what you like, you know. So I should have known better. I should have known that she had wider interests. And then we started to play records together, you know, yeah. a lot of old blues stuff. Um, yeah, and it just sort of came together, really. It, was, it, was, it wasn't planned. And then one night we were in, we, we took uh, Mark and Tom to Ronnie Scott's. And Keris went to the bathroom. <laughs> and Tom... Tom and Mark said to me, I think she's hot on you, you know. I think she fancies you. And I'm like, nah, no way. No way, I'm the manager. You don't, this doesn't happen. Of course, I went to the toilet. She, they said exactly the same thing to her. I said, I said to Tom and Mark, I was like, look, I, I kind of fancy my manager. What, what, what do you think I should do? And they were like, oh, go on. You only live once. Get in there. <laughs> <laughs> they so don't that, speak that loud. So, so that was it, really. Um, we were fixed up by, um, by yep. a couple called Tom and Mark. That's yeah. brilliant. And um, it seems to me that both of you, you both in terms of career, are both multitasking people. You've both been musicians. You are still a musician, Keris. You know, you, you, you have a festival. You do cookbooks. You do, you do, there's so many things that go on. And it seems to me, were you kindred spirits because you both see in each other just a creative person rather than just a manager or a musician? Yeah. I think it's just a record collection, actually. No, no, you're right, you do. You, I, I suppose there's a level of, you know, areas of conversation. I know they say opposites attract, which is a great idea for a short term. But I can yeah. tell you from my experience, opposites attract and then it goes wrong when you run out of things to say and things to do. But, you know, the the fact that we both like hot chilli, we really like hot food, you know, we both like Guinness, um, red wine of a certain region, Bordeaux. You know, We're avid readers. Avid readers, and yeah. And we love going to places like Cuba or um, France or Spain. And, Ethiopia. And, and matching books with travelling. So it's not just about music, it's about history, context, people, architecture, engineering, science, everything. And... Um, you're an avid reader and mm. we would you know you can run out of conversation sometimes we don't usually but if if we did it didn't wouldn't matter because we love books we got piles we got more books and we got records you know and so that's what i'm really looking forward to doing when when, <laughs> we, retire. when we retire i'm gonna read and read and mm. read until i bore the senses of you living together is quite a big decision so did you move your panties into his place or were your wife runs going into kerosene <laughs> <laughs> Um, you moved. Yeah, I moved in with her. My, my stuff was still in New York, a lot of it. Um, so it, uh, my record collection came in a big van one day. Um, and that was it, really. The records moved in and then I moved in. Yeah. And how did you decide where to live when you came back? Well, she was living in Labbert Grove. And that's always... I mean, I was living in the East Village. and That's nothing. I love Labbert Grove. <laughs> so does she. And we're still here. So uh, yeah. if she has been living in, I don't know, I've got to be careful I say Watford or somewhere, it might have been different. Steve's from Luton. That's their. Um... Are you from? Yes, I'm aware of that, and I'm aware you're a huge Luton fan. <laughs> I am. You've yeah, got the right yeah. colours on, Tiggy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's pure fluke. <laughs> In fact, together you're perfect: blue, white, and orange. Yeah. Luton yeah. colours. Yeah, yeah. Football's been a big part of our life. I grew up on a, an estate called the Farley Hill Estate in Luton. And football was football and music was our escape. What a now, that's great. while we're on the subject of music, uh, which is your song? Is there a song that you would say that that's our song? 
Which you both yes. were. When we started dating, more, more than just spending time as manage, manager and, and musician, I was on a tour through Norfolk. And Steve, as a parting gift, gave me a CD full of songs. And I put it in the CD player. And I remember now, because it was, it was harvest time for the cabbages. So the roadsides were full of, like like soldiers of cabbages um and it was uh, paul kelly's day after forever from the dave godin's southern soul treasures these sort of rarities but it's just so beautiful probably grammatically impossible hmm. but it's um the day after forever actually the sound guy had a real problem because he was driving the car and it was winding him up because he <laughs> said there cannot be a day after forever and this was playing on so kerist Keris texts me, this song, where, you know, this is fantastic, what an amazing song, but it's really ruining the experience with the driver because his scientific brain was like, there's yeah. no day after forever. Yeah. <laughs> Listen to the music, it's all about magic, you know? Yeah, it's bad. So that, that would definitely be, that's yeah. That's the one, I, yeah. I think that's all right, because that was just like, I, when I realised how closely our music taste aligned, Doris Duke was on there. Yeah. Um, I don't care anymore. I don't care anymore. God, what a the song. tambourine Oof. on the left from the speakers. Mm. Um, oh, that was it then for me. I was like, you know, the difference between Bob Dylan and Tom Petty. He saw it, and I'm like, okay. Yeah, neither of us are big Tom Petty fans, <laughs> but big Dylan fans, you know. Yeah. So. Well, <laughs> Keris, is it true when you were nine, you wanted to have a voice like Bob Dylan? Yeah, because I've always had quite a, a high voice. Um, they used to call me squeaky in school, and my heroes were blues singers like Mississippi John Hurt and... Oh, any of those guys, Snooks Eaglin and Ray Charles, and none of them had a high voice. <laughs> um, and like, so yeah, and Dylan was my huge fan. I was a huge fan of Dylan, I mean. So yeah, I, I started smoking way too early and drinking whiskey to try and bring it down a bit. Did, did, did it work? No, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> At the tender age of nine. Are you happy with your voice now? Um, not particularly I'd, I'd like I'd I'm I'd much just I'd much prefer to say have the singing voice of Shirley Bassey, and I'd much prefer to have the talking voice of Mississippi John Hurt. Maybe that might be a bit odd, mm. but I don't know how you can say that. I remember John Humphrey's last day on the Today programme. It was a hell of a treat that morning to wake up to you reading poetry it with was, him, Dylan Thomas, wasn't it? It was Mr and Mrs Cherry Owen, famous because um, she gets asked about what it's like to be married. Sometimes I think I'm married to two, two people, one who's drunk and one who's sober. And you know what? I love them both. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if we could ask you to read a poem for us. Why should John Humphrey have all the fun? <laughs> uh, I'd love to. This is... Um, I put out a cookbook and I love songs as well as poetry. So there's a playlist for each of the chapters on Spotify. So if you're cooking Mexican, you want a Mexican playlist. If you want Italian, you want some Sophia Loren, etc., etc. But also just to get in a bit of a mood, if you've got somebody watching you cook, they could sit there reading poetry um, while you cook. I thought just to, what the hell, why not? So this is um, one of my favourite Spanish poets. Um, Federico Garcia Lorca, but I've translated it into English. This is for all of us hoping for a summer holiday. Comparisons of peach and sugar, 
and the sun in the afternoon like the stone in a fruit. The corn keeps its smile steadfast, yellow and firm. August. The children eat brown bread and rich moon. <laughs> Beautiful. Why is it? Why is it us English, Steve? Just are so useless, you know. I mean, what a the musicality of the Welsh voice. Well, certainly Keris's. And Steve, you have you learned to speak Welsh? Yeah, I've been on a Welsh course twice to a lovely place called Nankafean, and they taught me North Walian, which I don't know if you're aware. There are many different types of Welsh, and I came back to impress the mother-in-law, and she was shocked by the fact I was have this North Walian. So rather than droid for football, it was Sokio and like Kikio and Likio for Likio like for instead like of Hoffi, Hoffi, which is what we say in the South. It's a very, yeah. it's like difference between Scottish in Glasgow and Scottish in Aberdeen or something. Mm. So in Tippenbach, you know, I speak, understand it pretty much everything going on because Keris does speak to the children in, in Welsh and I love Welsh song. Um, before I met Keris, you know, I, I knew Ali Jones and Bryn Turfel and people. And, you know, they, their Welsh language is in front of everything they do, especially when they're drunk. Well, Alid more than uh, Bryn. It would always <laughs> rant in Welsh, you know. And it just sounded beautiful. Even when someone was angry or annoyed or wound up, it has a musicality to it. It doesn't have the anger. It doesn't have the sort of the the sharpness that, that the other dialects have. As Irish is probably the same, you know, I'd say Irish and, and Welsh. Yeah. As a family, because, you, Steve, you have two kids... Yes. from your first marriage Keris obviously you, you said you're older two by your first marriage and then you've got red together so how have they all blended together very very well I think yeah yeah Harvey the son works works it. here he's in the other room he's working for me now and, and Keris and Hope the daughter I, we met for lunch on Portobello obviously distance takeaway um, and when we get together it's lovely that so many of us you know because we can just have on a, Keris loves barbecues obviously vegetarian barbecues so that fire comes out anywhere about anywhere above two or three degrees C. That fire pits out, <laughs> and the seven of us around it. And she's a brilliant cook. The cookbook wasn't something that that was a, an idea someone thought up. We just said, look, every night the food just is brilliant. And everyone that comes around said, oh, she write a cookbook. But because she's seen as a musician, the big worry was, well, yeah, it's a bit of an indulgence, you know. Oh, it's not really a cook. But cooking, I would say, cooking and probably botany are the two things that she's really an expert on, even more so the music. Now, your interest in, in botany and cooking, is that where the idea for the Good Life Experience Festival came from? Because I just love the sound of that. It, it came from, you know, living now in sort of central London and having young children and not being able to give them the sort of wild sort of freedoms that I had with my cousin's farms in West Wales and Pembrokeshire. So I, w I didn't want my children to be street smart, but country unsavvy. So I wanted them to know how to handle knives um, properly, sharpen axes, cut down trees or cut wood or forage, forage uh, understand forage. what's edible, what's not edible, light fires, cook, be, be, be enlightened and be empowered by being able to fix things or being able to handle things or, or not being shocked by sleeping bivouacking or building your own den or inclement weather. I wanted them to be savvy in, in, in city and, and more rural places and I couldn't give them that. So I saw there was no other festival that we knew of that 
combined music and poetry and books and cooking because all the chefs come we've had all of the major chefs come and they cook on fires rather than on shishi stainless steel things but also in the in, in the whole ethos of the festival is to it's small enough to allow children to run free and there's free stuff for them to do whether they want to join in and cookery classes or whittling sticks um and the, the actually the the favorite was them collecting the straw bales one year and building their own kind of slide using straw something that simple that they just it's simply such a hands-on physical freeing thing compared to their lives on the internet which is great as well but it's getting the balance so that's that's why we sort of Mm. We're passionate to to try and get all the people that we meet through work as well come out of the city and um, have a bloody good romp in the countryside. Do you cook meat for Steve or have you given up meat, Steve? I've been vegetarian 35 years now. Uh, 36 years, I think, now. I've been vegetarian, so long time since I've had any meat. Um, Yeah. But actually, on one of our first dates (laughs) at the Arts Club in Dover Street, um, the place I was uh, putting on musical nights... Keris didn't... I don't know if she knew I was vegetarian. I, I had a plate full of, like, wilted spinach and, you know, the usual toff type of, of food, you know, daphnoise, potato, all this business. And she decided that she would order the grouse. I like was, game. I, it, I like game. Because it I used to fresh. like game. Anyway, um, chatting away, and I looked up after the first few mouthfuls and she had a big bit of lead shot between her teeth. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, for a vegetarian, it was a bit of a turn-off, you know? I mean, the voice is, is lovely, very sexy, and she's beautiful, but lead, lead shot in the teeth, it does, didn't really sell it. And I didn't know well enough to tell her. It took, you did tell me. It you took, said, it took oh, me a good ten minutes, and I kept offering her more drink, thinking the wine might wash it through, you know? <laughs> but um, but, it, but it, 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 didn't, it didn't do it. And um, anyway... I still loved her. So after you that. said to me, "You've got. Did you know you've got some shot in your teeth?" And I said to you, "Oh yeah." She replied, "Well, it shows it's fresh." <laughs> no, I said, "I sort of shows it was wild, then, doesn't it?" But anyway, yeah. so I've not eaten meat now for four years, four or five, five years, years now, now yeah. maybe just because mm. out of respect, I suppose for Steve, he he didn't mind me cooking meat in the house, and that was how I was brought up. It was my norm. I always used to try and err on the sort of whole animal. Mm. And, and um i think the environment was a big player but it, it was inv- when, when when it got associated with climate change and carbon footprint and uh, then it was it was an easy decision it's not much of a sacrifice so we we don't have milk in the house and we don't have meat in the house and now we don't have fish in the house um yeah it's i think i think if more of us came away from using dairy milk every day and more away from using meat in every meal that's that's what it is. Instead of saying I'm vegetarian or vegan or this or the other, you don't have to think of that. Just err away from daily use of meat mm. and dairy in and, and use your sort of seasonal local meat producers more mm. as a treat. So meat is a treat. That kind of mentality is what I think would be healthy for the planet. But not one sound holier than thou, I love chocolate. <laughs> so obviously my life has been enhanced this week. With a certain oh. <laughs> just about has, it, has it arrived? It has, yeah, yes, yeah. It's Have my, you tried I, I, it? No, not yet. No, I've been too busy preparing for this. But uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it, yeah, right. chocolate is my vice. So I would um, every night I would go through a bar or two of chocolate, and uh, of course, Keris reminds me it's full of sugar, it's full of rubbish, not not good for you. So you know, again, a lot of vegetarians I know. They have a lot of other habits, drinking being an obvious one, Guinness being another one. Um, so there's sort of the holier-than-thou vegetarian image. And, I mean, often people do as much damage to themselves with drink as they would do with red meat or, or white meat come to that. 
it's, Can it's, we just it's a choice. Let's record straight here. Now, Tiggy, I'll let you do this. What's that? About chocolate being fattening. Ah, yes. I, I actually spoke to Hotel Chocolat and said, what happens if anyone thinks that uh, the hot chocolate with the velvetizer is fattening? He said, it, it is not fattening because good quality chocolate has so little sugar in mm. um, that it is not. It's actually, it's one of the superfoods. So if you, for example, if you had anybody around who was vegan, you can have the nut milk hot chocolate which is just yeah. lovely it's just amazing we always use um oat milk or almond mix, milk to make ours we, we uh there's a mix of um i eat, drink a lot of hemp milk and then recently we found oat and oat and hemp together which is really nice johnny likes hemp so, milk because he thinks it sounds cool no hemp is an amazing um, hemp is the most amazing plant an absolute gift from the great spirit, and, and we've not used it properly. You can make clothes out of it, you can eat it, you mm. can drink yeah, it. Yeah, and it's a totally it sustainable. Need... I'm with you. Is it like bamboo as well? Bamboo is a great plant for sustainable. Bamboo. Bamboo underwear. Just the only way oh, to Oh, yeah, go. bamboo socks. So get that velvetizer going, Steve. You're... Yeah, we'll do. Put your choice yeah. of milk in there, stick the 85% one in, and press the magic button. And two minutes later... You is that what you do every night? You <laughs> will be amazed. You'll be addicted. Johnny has one every day. I think the Tiggy and Johnny Walker um, chocolate menu book is, should be coming out, recipe book, because there are so many ways to use chocolate. But because it's served in bars, we feel like that's it. So we serve what we're served. But when you actually go back, like you say, and, and take real chocolate and create something with different types of healthy ingredients there is you travel around the world we went to ethiopia last christmas and i had christmas a for last christmas for last we had a chocolate drink that was fantastic i didn't quite learn what it was but it was to do with coffee bean uh raw uh cacao, ca- cacao. um and it, it what was amazing about it was the aftertaste was like a whole bar of chocolate but it didn't have that clingy sort of thing on your palate where you feel like i'm being really really naughty here and of course, no, no recipe for it. But um, all us chocoholics would love to find some way to justify our position. Well, get brewing. You're going to love it. I, I want to hear back from you, actually, Steve, on this <laughs> yeah. one. Because you will. I think you will replace your bar of chocolate at night with a hot yeah. chocolate. That's what I did. And I think it's, it's, a, it's a healthy thing. Not that I ever ate a bar of chocolate, a whole one, in my life. But I can hear the manager in you, Steve, going, right, I think you two should do a chocolate cookbook. Well, funnily enough, you see, Tiggy said to me the other day, I don't know what it was, she said, Johnny, you need to become less lazy. And I said, no, Tiggs, I need to become more lazy. Because, yeah, you know, amen I'm, to that, Johnny. I've reached that point in life where I love reading, so there's loads of books that I'm looking forward to reading. And um, I'm quite happy to work as little as possible, basically. Amen, amen, amen. She agrees with you. Good. Steve, are you still Keris's manager? I am, yes. And how yeah. do you deal with that subordinate attitude? <laughs> well, the trouble is it does it does spill into your, your daily life, you know. You only live once. You've got to live your life. I, ca- I come you back. You can't chase the money. And you say, can't chase the strife. I come back and say, look... We really need a decision on this. Do you want to do it or not? Oh, I'm, I'm cooking. I can't talk to you. I'm not working. Then we'll lay down about start reading before we go to sleep. You know what? That cover to the Undermilk Wood book, I don't know if it should be foiled. And she goes into work mode. And it's like, so you can't really get away with it. And she chooses, of course, because she is, is a, the real manager here. Um, but yeah, it is, it's a funny thing because you're always close to your artist as a manager. And there's the golden rule not to cross that 
border because once you do you don't go back you don't say the manager if you cross that border and i've somebody told me that a guy you know it's peter grant the guy from led zeppelin um we had i was managing a band called emf um we had a hit unbelievable and we weren't managers we were their sort of friends and he gave a talk about it he was talking about i'm not going to tell you what to do as a manager and he was a big presence i'll tell you what not to do and he went through a list and that was number one do not get romantically involved with your artists or more particularly with their wives and girlfriends or boyfriends <laughs> and because he'd obviously seen you know the 60s and 70s where anything goes um and that, that was very interesting but yeah it's 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 great because i wouldn't trust her with anyone else not saying we're the best management in the world but it'd be very hard to see a spouse managed by somebody else um You'd end up arguing about that. I think that would be an argument somewhere down the line. Mm. Well, I, but I trust him. You know, if I don't know how you two have a great working relationship from mm. the outside looking in, and and it helps our relate our, our our life relationship because I respect him. I think if you respect your partner, you've got all the luck in the world. Then I think it, as soon as you don't respect your partner, I think that that that's trouble ahead. She's bloody good. I think you're absolutely right. I think respect is the very basis of... Without the respect, you don't have the love or anything else. So, And you become... I mean, this is what marriage or partnership is about. You become a team. And yeah. we're a team. Mm. <laughs> yes, we are. You're but we're two team. individuals as well. Steve, if you wanted to dedicate one song to Karis, what would it be? Jeez, it's a really tough one. A Day After Forever, Forever would have been one. Um, <laughs> there, there are so many. Um, it would have to probably be Snooks Eaglin. Ah, oh, good one. Yeah. Um, Careless Love, Brown Skin Woman. Yeah. Um, what was your third one, I would say, of Snooks? Um, any Snooks. Uh, Country any. Boy down in Orleans. Any of those three would rock her boat and make her very happy. Okay. Keris, you to Steve, what song would it be? I would play him Bach. Mm-hmm. The string quartets. No, Beethoven late string quartets. No, what about Bach though? Bach would be probably um, some of the cantatas. Some of the cantatas. Yeah. Potentially some Purcell. Mm-hmm. That book. Yeah, Purcell. Works. And then some rat ass, awful avant-garde German punk steam rock <laughs> that I can't stand. Brilliant. As as a reggae, jazz, and soul fan, not so much, but yeah. It's it's those extremes. All right, I think. I'll so. go. I'll do um, Fatty Bum Bum. That size is now. Can't play that record. Okay. Um, <laughs> oh God, you've got such great reggae stuff. I always loved the Slickers, Johnny. Too bad. That's a great <laughs> track. What are you cooking tonight, Keris? Have you decided? Do you know what? I haven't decided yet. Um, I've got some brown rice that I'm going to use up, <laughs> which sounds really exciting, doesn't it? No, I've got loads of. Um, salads from the um i'm gonna say the name because i like this business riverford delivers in london and it's it's sustainable farming and organic and um it brings us sort of a, a selection of vegetables from the countryside every week so i've got um courgettes oh and if you don't like courgettes and i know they're really boring because i hate pumpkin um courgettes you can you can smash like guacamole so if you haven't got avocados or you're trying to use less guacamole uh, avocados because it's bad for the environment use courgettes you can try to steam them boil them slightly so you can mush them and mush them up with um salt 
raw garlic, mushed up courgette, and you can pretend it's guacamole with lime juice. There would you, go. you try that? <laughs> I would. Good. Especially if I've got some nice tortilla chips. The other tip I read in your book, if you, can't, if you don't have the time to make stock, what is it that you use, those cubes? Kalos, K-A-L-L-O, because they haven't got hidden salts or chemicals or MSG in it. And you can get some that are vegan, gluten-free and low salt as well. So, sorry, are you, are you winding me up, Johnny? Tiggy, no, Tiggy's, no, Tiggy's I'm, winding me up. I'm winding up because, I mean, he doesn't even know what stock cubes to buy. Anyway, uh, no, I love it. Stock cubes. No, 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 not what it is, but you <laughs> are funny, I love it. Because you don't, you know, most people are working, you don't have time to do stocks for hour and hour and hours and hours. You well, need to, Johnny you know, I'm pretty... hates me making stock because of the smell. But there we go. Um, it's interesting, Keris, so you're looking forward to being 60 and not having the kids, so you have time, time, time. What about you, Steve? What's your future dream? Um, I'm a workaholic, so it's awkward for me even thinking about retiring. Um, as quite a few people I know, you know, we're always on with each other, especially with communications they are. But I must say, this last year, because of Zoom and what it takes out of your privacy and your day-to-day, just being able to go and make a coffee without knowing you've got to do it in two minutes before you've got another Zoom... I actually quite like the idea of just the two of us buggering off somewhere, excuse my language, and, you know, going and living in Paris for three months, Ethiopia for three months, uh, Mali for two months, you know, just going around the world and really digging into the culture there, reading, like Kara said, really listening to the music, reading their local literature, you know, knowing that your your, your experience and seeing, you know, the either the historical sort of next chapter or understanding better where, where everything came from, Colombia, I think that would be a great place to go if they're not having a revolution the time you're there. Um, mm. So I, w- I would love to do that. And that's sort of a plan, but I just don't know when. <laughs> it, you know, I hope we don't drop dead before I do it. And I've heard so many people say, oh, yeah, no, he passed on before he got to live his dream, you know, mm-hmm. or her dream, either way. You are the second couple that has said that. Another couple we interviewed said they want to go off backpacking. Yeah. Which is, I just, when the kids have sort of really flown the nest. And I just think that's a lovely thing. I'd ask Johnny if he'd like to do the same. That's the famous John Lennon quote. If you want to make God laugh, tell him about your plans. Yeah. <sighs> that's a good quote. I think what would be quite nice to, you know, we've got how many, 10,000 albums, what we've got. I'd love to just be able to sit down, listen to a record beginning to end again, like we used to as kids, teenagers. I remember I heard um, Inner Visions, which is probably my favourite album of all time. That was Songs of the Key of Life. I remember you playing uh, a track, Living for the City, whatever it was, on the lunchtime show. And we all went to school, and because you'd only heard it once. And we were all trying to remember the lyrics to it, you know. And then when we got the album, we then learned the whole album, beginning to end. So we'd sit around each other's houses singing it, not like Stevie, but like, you know, 13, 14-year-old kids would do from beginning to end. So all that's inside you somewhere. All those memories, every lyric on every album that you loved when you were like, you know, 11 to 15. But we don't get time to just sit down and play a record anymore, beginning to end. You know, we've sort of been pulled into this, a track from here, two tracks from there. And it's, yeah, yeah, I don't know. It really is sad because it used to be such an experience. And as you listen to the whole album, you'd look at the album sleeve and study who played on it and everything else. It It was just a different connection with music. Well, now I'm being more lazy. I've got time to do that. Yes, you have. Actually, you are playing way more uh, music now. More vinyl. Johnny puts on his vinyl. Well, we've moved to this house where we're we're in one big, big space. Well, for the the living space. So I'll be cooking and he'll be DJing for me. It's quite nice. (laughs) So I, I, I have that accompaniment. 
Yeah, we, we have similar here, actually. Yeah. That's the kind of deal. And, I, and I if, I don't, if I don't like, I'll be like, <clears throat> and then uh, move it on. But he's brilliant. I mean, that's why we get on so well. We Our tastes really are so similar. So could I just ask you, so obviously you were playing a lot of album tracks in those days, you know, what I remember. Um, and I don't remember, apart from a Saturday afternoon show, was it Alan Freeman, a rock show used to be on? I don't remember anyone else really playing album tracks in the daytime. Um, and, and there was a sort of, I can remember a lot of them, you know, Steve Miller Band and 10CC, the original soundtrack and stuff. And I think that, you know, that was what really made the show different to the others because, you know, in those days, artists didn't always release their best track as their single. The amazing thing was, all the producers at Radio 1 back then were scared to death of albums. I used to ask them, I said, what is it that frightens you? The, the fact that it goes around a bit slower than a single, they were just so obsessed with top 40 singles. And yeah. I used to find every excuse I could to be able to slip in album tracks. Um, <laughs> because the, that was a time when a lot of bands didn't want to put out singles. They wanted to make an album. And oh. that's really what caused me to leave the BBC, was... When the boss of Radio 1, he wanted me to do another two years on a lunchtime show, he said, but no more album tracks. No, what about She Said, I should have said She Said by Barclay James Harvest for you. Yeah, that was a big tune back in the day. I said, if you want me to get up in the morning excited about coming in to do the show, don't tell me to not play any more album tracks. And I said, what you mean is more Bay City Rollers? And he said, yeah, if they're in the charts, yes. So, (laughs) So I said, well, he said it's Two years on the lunchtime show, no album tracks or nothing. So I just said, well, it better be nothing then. So that was that. Wow. B-A-Y-B-A-Y-B-A-Y-C-I-T-I with an R-O-L-L-E-R-S. Basically, rollers are the best. And I'm I'm too young for that, actually. It's my sister, sister. that taught me that. Yeah. Oh, I thought we had a fan. I couldn't believe that. No. Because the chart show, I remember the chart show used to be on, was it on a Tuesday? On the Tuesday lunchtime. Yeah, yeah, I remember that really We'd well. listen avidly. Yeah. And I edited Booker T and the MG's Time is Tight. Yeah. So, do, 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 yeah. Yeah, in fact, that's how I, you know, I think I, the only one I remember was George McRae was number one. And you announced it on your show. I didn't know it was number one. And we all, I all went to school and was all trying to sing in that, woman, take me in your own. We're trying to sing that falsetto <laughs> voice. <laughs> I mean, we were young, so we probably could in those days. But I, remember, I, can, I can remember what I had for lunch that day. You know, it was chicken and chips. My mum was there and myself and her sat down, listened to the radio, ate chicken and chips. And it got to number one, you know, George McRae. And then I went back to school at 10 to 2 as always. And lining up, we were all singing, Rocky baby, Rocky baby. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Good days. Well, listen, you yeah. two, thank you so much for your time. It's been, no problem. It's been an absolute joy having a chat. Well, maybe next time we can actually come and eat your food and watch you DJ. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I mean, you, you could eat tonight. It's vegetarian cottage pie tonight. Yeah. Oh, Ooh, we like that. With green lentils. And what record, Johnny? What's the record going on the decks tonight? I don't know until I wander over and have a look. It might be Al, Al Stewart's Year of the Cat being playing that. <laughs> oh, that was nice. a big favourite of yours, wasn't it? I remember that. That and Brian Prothero was another one you played a lot since yeah, you remember back in the day. Yeah, Pimble. Yeah. Mm. So, okay, I know it's a really boring question that you've been asked a million times then. I know, because he mentioned Snook Siegel, and that would be the record that I just have to have a copy of wherever I go. Yours would be what? Probably Stevie Wonder. 
songs that key life or or uh, inner visions Tig- tiggy which is one album that you just brought with you hunky dory <gasps> oh, nice nice classic john you get the last word and show you so you should um it'll be john prine i think it's lost dogs and mixed blessings Oh, but the one, one that's got all the way with you on it. Oh. And that's uh, about the first time I met Tiggy. We parked her, I gave her a lift home after she'd done her yoga. And we parked up outside her flat in London. And I just started playing some songs. And uh, one of them was um, John Prine's Can I Go All the Way With You? Which is just a. Oh, mister. Is that your oh, way of. Exactly. <laughs> and do you know what? My brother, who spent all of his years from 18 onwards in Canada, who, who died early of cancer. But we're chatting, and I've got the car window open just about that much. And chatting away with Tiggy and playing these, this music to her. And in through the window comes this maple leaf. It just kind of just floated in. And I just took that as a message from my brother. Don't mess this one up, son. This is this is a good one you got here. Because they do so, say so. if you catch a falling leaf, it's luck. They do. Yeah. They do indeed. Yeah. Do you remember that? Mm, I do. Oh. Well, it's lovely talking go. with you. Thanks for inviting us on. Thank you oh, very much so indeed for coming. Lovely. Thanks a lot. Lots of love to I look everyone. forward to cooking for you. <laughs> well, that was an amazing... They're all amazing, these podcasts. Do you know know what? what? It It was more of a conversation, wasn't it? They were asking you questions and it was was a lovely dialogue between the two. And Steve has a a, a beautiful energy. I mean, we know that Keris has a beautiful energy, but Steve, they're very complimentary together. But he talked the most, the manager, whereas the DJ, the broadcaster, didn't talk so much. And I think it's a bit like me. We, mm. we kind of come alive when we're in a studio with a microphone and, and people listening on the other end. And then you really do, you start to talk and you sort of become alive. And then perhaps less so in, in when you're at home. In company. Yeah. Perhaps I should just hand you a microphone when we have supper parties again. <laughs> Actually, at least you do, you do. You do DJ, d- do Johnny. DJ them, when you're, yeah. You do, you do. Yeah. You, you've laid on some lovely evenings. <laughs> Yeah. Quite by surprise. Um, just very great to see them. I would have loved to have more time to ask Keris about, you know, what does she like doing? How does she see herself as a, a radio person or a musician, mum or whatever? But she's everything, isn't she? She's she is. just. Yeah. I had this question going on in my mind. I thought, if someone offered you a cooking show of your own on TV or uh, making an chef, album. The profession- no, <laughs> no. Oh, yeah, see, something yeah. like that. What, what, would you, what would you want to do? But um, call them back. Call them back. No, no, no. It's not. It's not a great question because I know she'd find a way to do both, but at different times. I'm sure. I think they're um, a really lovely couple, and I like the fact they want to go off traveling once the kids have all uh, yeah. departed. Let's hope we all can by, or they can by the time that well, arises. Karis is a very gifted communicator, and Steve, obviously, a really good manager and a great music fan and mm. tremendous knowledge of all forms of music. Well, thank you for listening to this edition of Johnny and Tiggy Walker's Consciously Coupling. We'd also like to thank Velvetizer, who support this podcast. Uh, That comes from Hotel Chocolat. And it's a very simple way to enjoy barista-grade drinking chocolate at home. Thanks to John Daly of Ojo Productions, our producer. And thanks, too, to Owen, who does the editing of the podcast. 
And to Fergus, who wrote the music. Yeah. Johnny Walker here saying thank you for listening and we'll see you next time. And Tiggy Walker also saying thank you for listening and we'll see you next time. Tiggy Stardust. Tiggy Stardust. Surely not. And uh, thanks to all those people who supported uh, Tiggy and I when we were together doing our Radio 2 show. I wish it could be like that still every week, but um, not to be. Not to be, sadly. Yeah, but we have the podcast. We have this. Yeah. That's lovely. We'll see you next week. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you.